Welcome to a new episode of the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. This week, we're featuring a special conversation with One Night in Miami director Regina King, screenwriter Kemp Powers, and stars Kingsley Benadire, Eli Gorey, Aldous Hodge, and Leslie Odom Jr., moderated by Beandra July. On the evening of February 25, 1964, four icons of sports, entertainment, and activism celebrated one of the greatest upsets in boxing history in a modest motel room in Miami. After claiming the world heavyweight title for the first time, Cassius Clay, who would soon change his name to Muhammad Ali, got together with three friends, human rights activist Malcolm X, music superstar Sam Cooke, and football legend and emerging action movie hero Jim Brown. One Night in Miami is a fictional imagining of the historic night these towering figures spent together. Directed by Regina King and written by Kemp Powers, based on his award-winning play, One Night in Miami is set on the precipice of the momentous political and cultural upheaval of the 1960s. One Night in Miami is now playing on Amazon Prime. Now, let's continue to the talk. Hey, today we are very privileged to have with us the director, screenwriter, and cast of One Night in Miami, and um, if you haven't had a chance to see the film, you should uh, really get on that. But it's just gonna, really excited to dive into this wonderful film today. Um, and I'd like to start with uh, the director, Regina King. Um, tell us you know, how this project came together and um, what made you want to be involved. Well, one is good to see you again. <laughs> yeah, you too. <laughs> um, uh, this wonderful project came to be uh, from the mastermind, also known as Kemp Powers. <laughs> uh, he, <laughs> he wrote um, a play that um, I was not familiar with uh, about, what was it, Kemp, maybe nine years ago? It was 2013 was when the yeah. play first yeah. ran. So, so eight years ago. And um, he... Um, uh, adapted it into a screenplay. And I was uh, the first director for it to fall in my lap to um, read and um, I guess audition for the role as the uh, as director. Uh, that's the way I, I, I see it. You know, if you talk to Kemp, he tells another story. If you talk to our producers, they tell another story. But this story through my eyes is uh, that um, this beautiful um, uh, script came to me and um, I was just blown away. Uh, I, I felt like it, this was um, a, a conversations that I have not seen take place in cinema, um, but uh, I've seen in my life, uh, I've been a part of in my life. And um, uh, I, I, I fell in love with it. I bought the play, read the play, was blown away that this was Kemp's first screenplay, was blown away that I did not see, I didn't even see one piece of dialogue uh, in the screenplay from the play, probably like, I don't know, 50 pages in, it seemed like, you know, at least. And, um, that was uh, uh, really impressive to me, especially uh, since all of the themes that were in the play still were intact 
um, in the screenplay. So that's the long, not so long, not so short uh, genesis of my involvement with. Um, yeah. And just, you know, since um, I think the last time I talked to you, the movie hadn't come out yet and now it's out, it's been seen by audiences. And, um, you know, what What kind of, uh, what are you hearing from your audiences? And it, it's been, it's been quite amazing. You know, we came out with really um, positive reviews from the critics and it's something that I really try not to, uh, pay attention to because that can be soul crushing. But when you know you keep getting these emails from everyone like you should read this, you should read that. And, and it, it's kind of an overwhelming response that has been positive. And then it gets out to the people. And those are the ones you really want to um, to to to, uh, to receive the intention to receive um, what what you were going after, and just to have just so many um, positive responses about um, about not only the script and not and the story, but these four actors who I just feel are just phenomenal and could not wait for everyone to to witness you know their gifts and 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 what they brought to the embodiment of 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 these four icons i felt it um and 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 you know i i felt for sure that everyone was going to feel the same way but still you're bracing yourself and for everyone to just be blown away by the performances has been, I mean, look, I'm a thespian first. So this has been, been quite, quite amazing. It's been, it's been, it's been good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's a great uh, segue uh, for the actors. Um, I, I'm, I want to throw it out to people who haven't heard it before. Just tell us um, briefly, like what drew you to the character and, um, you can start with um, Kingsley. Oh, for me, it was the, the I guess, um, really understanding the Malcolm in this story, needing to be different, feeling different, feeling like a, a, an opportunity to show him in a, in a very particular light. There's something about Kemp's words that the vulnerability and the stakes for Malcolm at this time. But I'll be honest, also as well, for me, it was Regina, you know, that was the first thing. It was like, oh, oh I get to do an audition for Regina King. That, that was really, I was really excited by that. And uh, and yeah, so a, a mixture of two, it was Malcolm and, 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 and Regina. Awesome. Oh, uh, I, I really, I thought that what Kemp was doing with this script was something daring. And it's very rare to see uh, in, in cinema, I think usually the way that we see somebody push boundaries, uh, the typical ways, I don't know if, anybody, if, if you guys think I'm missing something, let me know. But I think it's usually violence or sex, or obviously the craft of filmmaking, you see some, some movie maker come along that's going to do some something new with the camera you're like oh wow but it's very rare 
to see somebody push boundaries with a conversation. And this was, um, uh, he was going farther. He was going farther in this hotel room with these ideas, you know, the conversation that Jim has with Malcolm about colorism, uh, the conversation, you know, the things that Malcolm is, is saying to Sam and Sam is saying back about what it means to, to uh, you know, to be black and successful and, and what is our responsibility to the movements. Anyway, it was, um, it felt daring. And so that's what drew me to it. I wanted to be a part of something daring. All this? I mean, echoing both, both of them. I mean, definitely the opportunity to work with Regina in this capacity. Uh, got one down. Now I got to work next to you as an actor to actor. You know what I'm saying? Chap up these skills. All right. We got the director, the, the actor. Um, and then also Kim's script. I mean, for me, it resonated personally because it's, it's a conversation I have often have been having and uh, uh, in the time that uh, the audition came around to me as well. And uh, I saw potential for it to be uh, a healing asset to where we were, you know, currently in our, in our society. Uh, I know a lot of people were hungry for either the understanding of that conversation or curious about why the conversation was even being had in the first place. And I felt like this was an answer to many of those particular curiosities. Anytime we get to be a part of effective art that actually can move the needle, push the culture towards progress, I'm about it. And I feel like without, not not trying to sound conceited and nothing like that, but I feel like um, the effect that I've personally seen when it comes to how people absorb the messaging of this film is just that. They understand and they are moved to actually figure out how to deal with the problems that we're going through right now when it comes to the dissension in culture in this country and, and as it relates to, to the mistreatment of black people, I think people are opened up to really try to absorb how to change and the work that needs to go, uh, go towards that. And I think that this, this film is one of those big assets that speaks to communicating the answer to that. Yeah, it is really interesting how it sort of resonates in the present day while being obviously a period piece feels kind of timeless in a way, um, unfortunately, and fortunately. But, <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, Eli? Um, well, for me, I mean, I think every, not every actor, but a lot of actors, um, you know, you have a dream role that you, when you start acting, that you hope you can play one day. You know, for Don Cheadle, uh, it was Miles Davis, you know, and for me, it was Cassius Clay. I always wanted to play Cassius Clay from, you know, I, if he's someone I always looked up to. He's someone that people always said I favored. And he was a story that is so important in our history and uh, in culture. And I felt like I could do it. You know, like most importantly, I felt like I could do it. I was the guy to do it. Um, and then to have that opportunity. So I, I believed I was going to play him at some point, regardless, somehow, some way in something. But to have that opportunity with Regina, <laughs> you know, and this script uh, it, it was like, it, it was literally a dream come true. So yeah, that's why I, I did it. Awesome. Yeah, um, obviously all the actors really feel like Regina created a safe space for them to do, you, you created a safe space for everyone to do their work. And I wonder, I would just throw it back to you, Regina, what, what about your experience as an actor and also as an episodic director um, 
sort of informs how you um, run your set? Hmm, I, I guess just being an actor and understanding just what it, what it, what it takes to reach a desired uh, emotion. Um, the, the, as a human being, um, not wanting to feel like uh, cattle, like we're all the same. Mm -hmm. um, I, the way I communicate with Kingsley is different than the way I communicate with Leslie. This is different than the way I communicate with Eli is different than the way I communicate with Aldous. And um, that's just very important to me to, uh, to, to gain their trust. And, and that they that they feel that um, their thoughts, their concerns, the things that they want to try, um, the they the reminder if they're going too far away from the in, the intention um, to just be um, uh, in a lot of ways, you know, like the coach, you know, like go, you can do it. And also at the same time, yeah, you might want to also uh, watch out for do the, the right wing, you know, the, the, it's, it, it's a trap right there, you know, just, um, and, and not speaking directly like that, but some actors that might be a way to communicate, you know, but, um, you know, just, uh, just making sure that they know that um, I see them as individuals and that I, uh, and also making sure that they are aware that this is a uh, team effort, and um, and 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 it starts when casting. You know, you 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 cast people who come to uh, the the. And we always call it the um, uh, sandbox. You know, play in your sandbox. Uh, that they're coming to the sandbox already, um, uh, knowing that th this is we're only as good as each other, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it's not just about you only, but when, 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 when the camera is on you, yeah, it is about you, you know, um, I don't know that all four of these, these, these actors, they, um, they, they, they definitely understand that just, how vulnerable it is, and and that vulnerability is what makes um, you know them great. You know, yeah. you're out there feeling naked sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, and I think also your your directing style in this movie is very sort of subtle but powerful. And um, you know, I've seen it a number of times now, and just noticing like how you work with cinematography and the way you did the blocking, you know, it's very um, sort of precious in the way that you put it all together. Um, it's really like a, a dance, really. It feels very well choreographed and everything is firing, you know, everyone's doing their part um, on the team. Um, so I think for me, that's what makes the movie stand out because there really isn't like a weak link anywhere, um, in my opinion. Uh, so, uh, then that's extremely rare and has a lot to do with um, clearly like the vibe on the set and you all, you know, got along, you had a rapport. I think that really translates into the movie. I don't have to tell you that, but it's- Well, um, it started with Kemp, you know, the dialogue was truly the star of, of, of this piece. And, and, and 
everyone going into it felt that. And, and then after that, you know, it's just um, building an incredible team of artisans to, um, to execute the vision to support Kemp's intention. Right. Yeah, and Kemp, I want to get you in here. Um, this obviously was based on a night um, that you read about when you're doing research for something else. Um, and gosh, you have such a great imagination, but I, I know it's also very informed by research. So tell us a little bit about that process of how you um, took this one little kernel and, and turned it into this story. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously when I, when I first discovered it, I, I was really intrigued. I wanted to know how these four men who meant so much to me as, as a young man, um, when I first read the passage, I was really curious to find out how they met one another, how they'd come to to, to be friends. And I, and I made so many wonderful discoveries during my period of doing research that I was almost kind of like a drag to be around. Like my friends would be like, can we just watch a movie and you not bring up, did you know that Sam Cooke started Star Records a year before he <laughs> started? Like I was that guy. I was just always dropping tidbits on one of the four of them. Cause I was like, I just found out this, I just found out that. And um, so when I, when I first wrote it as a play, um, the first draft was really terrible because it was really a book report. Um, I was just so anxious to um, get out all these amazing facts that, that that were behind all these these men. But then I realized that like that wasn't the whole point. Like I wanted to go back and look at why these four men were so influential to me and really kind of deconstruct who they were as human beings because the era we live in. I, I learned what I think it was the um, the 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 second reading we did in the public, uh, public reading we did of the play when it was finally kind of getting on its feet that I didn't have to do a book report because we live in an era of Google. So if, if the audience became invested in who these men were dramatically, especially young people, they were gonna go down some kind of rabbit hole trying to learn as much as they would about each of the four. And one of the wonderful things about the film being out now is it's happening now. The film is out and now all of a sudden, everyone's a know-it-all about Sam Cooke, Jim Brown, Muhammad Ali. And I love, I love being um, educated by the public <laughs> about these four guys on a like, did you know this? And half the time I'll say, you know what? I didn't know that even though I did because that was the whole point is that I wanted to do a characterization using what I knew about them, but emphasize that it was fiction. But at the same time, it should be believable. You know, and that characterization really is powered by the, the truth. For some people, that's probably like a no-go. As far as they're concerned, everything needs to be perfect and exact. But that's the reason I didn't want to do a biopic. Because I feel like when you do a biopic, you have, you have a different burden. <laughs> and, and the whole point of this conversation is, like I said, it's a conversation that is imagined. But it's a conversation that we've been having for 100 years. And it's a conversation that we're still having now. And that's something that I felt was believable, particularly coming from these four men who represent those ideas so perfectly for me. So it was, you know, trial and error like anything else you write. But uh, it, it's been a fun voyage of, of discovery. And again, I just, I love the fact that the movie is free. That's, that's how I've been describing it. Like now that it's out to the people, um, I'm just so happy because people are enjoying it in a way that sometimes critics aren't, won't allow themselves to enjoy it. Like my, my favorite capsule review is I think was the rapper Joe Budden was like, yo man, Malcolm is a vibe killer. And I was just cracked <laughs> up like, 
hearing people do these hot takes. And that's the kind of hot take I want to hear when you see these. Because when I hear a hot take like that, you realize that the person sees themselves in that situation and they, sees them, and they see themselves in these men. And that was always the point. It, it was <laughs> so, so I love that the film is free. Yeah, yeah, and we can be so attached to what we think we know about these men and what they mean to us, you know, as public figures, but that's not what you're trying to do here. Wow. You're trying to show, who's, show us who they are as men. Yeah, it's human, it's human beings. And, you know, some people can't accept vulnerability and that's, that's, their, that's their cross to bear. But part of that humanity is also vulnerability, particularly when it comes to these four men who are seen, I think, unfairly as so invulnerable. You know, because I, I think that sometimes we can strip away a bit of the humanity from our heroes when we look at them that way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I want to, um, in creating these characters, actors, I'm, you all had to do like really particular um, sort of dialect work. Um, and Leslie, you have the added uh, challenge of actually singing <laughs> like one of the best uh, vocalists in history. Um, and I wonder if you could talk about how you found your voice in the character. Um, and you can just go in whatever order you would like. Dialect work specifically was uh, led by our dialect coach. We had a brilliant young brother, dialect coach Trey Cotton on this movie. And uh, he, like Regina, you know, I think really specializes in communicating with different actors differently. Uh, so for me, uh, for me and for Sam, you know, music was a lot of the way we um, worked. You know, we found the musicality in Sam's speaking voice too, the way he spoke. And, um, and I'll tell you, the more I learned about the more I learned about the actual Sam, the more Kemp's script made sense. You know, Kemp had really assimilated this material, the, the, the biography and their rhythms. Malcolm doesn't talk like Sam talks. Cassius talks completely, you know, they're, they're his rhythms. It's why Eli, I imagine, Eli speak for himself, but you know, it's so believable, the characterizations because, Kemp really understood these guys psychologically. And so, you know, the it's on the page, you know, but Trey Cotton was. Yeah, I was, um, uh, I was working with a, a different coach, Jerome Butler, who helped me primarily with the enunciating and really trying to get that sound of Jim Brown, because back in the sixties, he, he sounded, you know, a little, a little different than he does today. You know, there's a, there's a different vibe, but there's a 60s, you know, thing going on. And I was constantly cautious of not trying to sound like a caricature of him because there's a really specific, definitive um, cadence there, you know. So I would just uh, listen to him constantly in my head 24-7. It's, it's a trick that... I picked up from Kingsley. I started watching Kingsley because you know, I remember like it was like the first day he just had his earbuds in playing over and over, you know, Malcolm. And I'm sitting here, you know, on my phone watching Jim. But I'm like, you know what? I'm going to jack that because <laughs> it seems far more efficient. And just every single in-between takes just played them in my ear 24-7, 24-7 just to really – honing it in as instinct, second nature, as opposed to trying to have to think about it going into it. And 
something else that really kind of helped with, I think, uh, us staying in it, you know, in addition to, to, to what Leslie was saying about the words and about what Kent provided us, because we had the blueprint there and, and the, the, the diction, the words, the specificity of it, you know, sort of helped us navigate who these men were, but it was also what we brought to set in terms of the research. Everybody's bringing something new that they learned to set every single day. So we're influencing one another. You know, Regina on set called us, hey, hey, Jim, hey, Malcolm, hey, Cassius, how you doing? You know, that keeps us in the mode. So we're constantly in practice. We're constantly working. There's not one point that we take a break. So I think it was maintaining that consistent repetition and, and, and staying in a constant state of work that allowed us to maintain the consistency of, you know, making these voices not just an attempt, but an actual reality. Eli, do you want to say? Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, you know, I'd been working on it for a long time, but um, Trey was a difference maker. He was a game changer, um, a catalyst to me getting this voice, uh, being a brother from the South himself. Um, he explained, we started with just cultural lessons. Um, we started with understanding what it's like to be black in the South, what it's like to be young and black in the South. Um, and just talking to me about how you have to think about things before you say them, how you have to process things at twice the speed of the culture that's around you because anything you say can and will be used against you. Um, and so that was uh, super hugely influential. And then also, um, he, he tapped into, obviously not to the level that he did with Leslie, but he did tap into what he would call the, the, the rhythm or the music of the dialogue. And he, he mentioned that all of us were like different instruments in this script. And when we were all functioning and playing in, in, in cohesion with one another, it was like a, a jazz band. It was like uh, improvisational, uh, you know, bebop at, at its, in, that, in that feeling of, you know, this one goes and this one goes and this one solos. And now we're doing a, you know, we're working off of each other. And um, he was really helpful in helping me find that. And then obviously, you know, he's, he's a well-trained dialect coach. So he does all the vowels and he does all the flattening of this and the, you know, opening your mouth for these words and glottal stops and all that technical stuff. But it, you know, that other dialect coaches do, but he just understood the, the, the culture and the rhythm, um, in a different way that, and he was able to express it in a way where I could learn it, pick it up and then apply it, um, in my performance. And, um, I, it, I really think it's, it's, it was, like I said, the catalyst to taking it to a place of not just imitating, but really embodying, uh, the voice of that character. And Kingsley, uh, what was it like for you to create Malcolm's voice? It became a lot of fun because, uh, got to listen to him at the same time as doing it so you know the dialect can be really boring a lot of the time because it's just a lot of repetition and trying to re it's trying to strengthen muscles that are not active in the way that they should be because your mouth's moving in a different way but with Malcolm because I got to experience him as I was doing it it was it was really such a joy and it was really the the Berkeley the Berkeley interview from 63 
black and white 50 minutes on YouTube and uh, uh, the day after the, the Muslim brothers were shot outside the temple in LA. Those were the two speeches that I would, uh, it's not speeches, sorry, uh, inter one interview and one um, Malcolm doing a speech. That I, they were the two that I just listened to over and over and over and over and over again. And that's what, when I was talking about, that they, they were the two speeches I'd be listening to because they were at complete opposite ends of the spectrum. So the one in LA, after the brothers were shot outside the mosque, is Malcolm probably in his most emotionally impassioned, fired up moment that you can find of him. And in Berkeley, he's at his calmest, coolest, sharpest, most intellectually challenging that you can get him. And they're just, I could listen to them forever. I really could listen to them forever. And I, and I, and I think, you know, Regina very generously allowed me to, you know, make a lot of noise on set. And, and I'd be, there were days where I'd be really, it's particularly in the stuff between me and Leslie, in that scene in the room when we come back in off the roof, like uh, for me, I, I had to, it was the only way I knew how to stay in that energy, in the energy of Malcolm and in the dialect of Malcolm was just to really repeat that speech out loud from when, you know, the brothers were shot outside the temple. And uh, yeah, so lots listening and repeating. Mm, okay, so a lot of Google searches for that Berkeley uh, speech are gonna be happening. Um, oh, it's special, it's really special. Yeah, yeah. Um, and actually about throwing it back to the actors, just briefly, um, what surprised you the most about your character um, or what challenged you the most also? You could answer either one of those. I would say uh, what surprised me the most about Jim was how he handled himself. Um, his command of the environment and the situation, knowing exactly where he was and, and what he had to get over, what hurdles he had to get over in order to deliver the message he needed to deliver and catch the ear of the people that were in natural opposition to him. I found him to be really eloquent and, and, and eloquent and elegant. Put them together. I put them two words together. Um, but, uh, you know, for his age, for all the success that he had, he was uh, really quite an outlier in, in his space uh, with a, a grand sort of forward looking perception of where to go with all that. Cause you think top of the NFL, most people would just stop there and quit. And he was like, nah, this is a step to the bigger picture. So I think he, he left a, a grand example for how to take what you have and, and, you know, build off of it. But um, he really was, his, his intellect was really quite impressive. Um, I'd say it's just the impact that still resonates and um, that he had on people and on the world everywhere that I went um, because I would stay in character while I was in New Orleans when I was on when I was not on set people just treated you with so much love just because you were playing just because you were pretending to be Cassius Clay. People give me free things. They let me go in front of them in line. I'm, I'm serious. I, a couple of guys gave me like workout equipment. People gave me gloves. They wanted me to sign things, not as Eli, as Cassius. You know, they, uh, I, I got to eat for free. 
it was it was amazing. And I still now people send messages. Um, you know, I met him when I was working on such and such. He was in my town and he took time and he helped my daughter or, or you know, he shook my hand and he just really made people feel loved and special and important. Even my mother, she said that the first time that she heard a black person on television say that they were beautiful, it was Muhammad Ali. And that and that reinforced her sense of self as a young black girl that she was beautiful because she had never heard anyone else say it before that was black on television. It just never even was considered. So I think the thing that really surprised me the most, I knew he was famous, but there's a lot, there are a lot of famous people, you know, there are a lot of very famous people, but I didn't realize just how much um, who, how much he touched people and how much who he was really resonated with people and, 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 in their core and in their sense of self and, and not just black people. You know, I was in London and I had a cab driver, a white cab driver who, you know, basically attributed Ali to like his mantra for life, how he built his life, you know? Um, and, and you see that a lot, you know, with, with white young, uh, Skip Bayless, the famous sports reporter said that Ali was his greatest hero. You know, as a young as a young white guy growing up in Oklahoma, you know, like it's the the way he touched the world and how he was truly a world champion uh, in the in the grandest sense, um, I think, is really what surprised me and, and continues. to. I mean, this is the the biggest thing that's ever happened in my career is playing one night in his life. So, you know, that's the kind of legacy that he's left. Yeah. Um. Unless anyone else wants to speak on that, I'm going to throw it back to Regina as we're going to wrap up here. Um, and I wonder. There's one thing I wanted to share with the yeah. guy. I don't even know if everyone knows this, but you know, I I wrote this dialogue trying to like encapsulate who each of these men were, and I, I don't think I've even said it out loud to Regina. I only included one actual quote from each of the men. Mm. So in all your dialogue, there's one quote you each quote the actual man once in the entire film. For for Jim, it's when he says, um, we ain't nothing but gladiators and I'm tired of the emperors up there giving us thumbs up or thumbs down. For Sam, it's when he's doing the interview with Carson um, and he's talking about how he connects with people. For Malcolm, it's when he's doing his speech, talking about what's good for the for the sheep is bad for the wolf. And for, for Cassius, it was just one line, why am I so pretty? That's the only, <laughs> that's the only quote, but I put one quote from each of the real men in the script. Um, and, you know, that was part of the challenge was like, I wanted, I had to write original dialogue, but for what it's worth, those are your quotes <laughs> from the actual guys that I use. That just makes your script that much more impressive, brother. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, I think, I mean, I know you said you didn't write a biopic, but I think this is the best kind of biopic because it doesn't, you know, cement these men in stone. And obviously we know who they are or we think we do, but um, just the brilliance of having it just be this one night in time, I think is for me, like what makes it really sing because they can be who they are. You know, it's, it's like, you can feel for this one night, we know these men are safe, even though we know, you know, in reality, Malcolm's, and Sam are gonna pass away relatively quickly after that. And um, it's just, you don't get to experience that a lot. In, in biopics, it's a lot of, you know, oppression, um, triumph over adversity, which, you know, has its place. But um, I don't think we're really used to seeing movies like this where 
it's just about black people just being, you know, and black figures just being. Um, and I personally would like to see a lot more of this, um, <laughs> as I'm sure a lot of black people would. Um, <laughs> yeah, so um, Regina, I'll give you the final word. Um, what, uh, what are you taking away from this experience um, as a director, as an actor, as a human being? I guess um, I'm taking away just how necessary it was for people to be reminded how far we haven't come. Um, I think that is the biggest takeaway, how much, um, how much the telling of this story was needed. And uh, it, it's gonna be very interesting to see um, what 2022 looks like, what 2023 looks like. Um, and I, I, I'm grateful that um, we, as, as a, a team of artists were able to have, um, have, a, have, a, have a part of putting something out into the universe that truly um, forces the conversation to continue. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, yeah, I, uh, I hate asking you the dreaded question of what's next because you wanna focus on the fullness of this experience. But um, yeah, do you, cause I read that you wanted to do a historical piece for your first um, feature um, and I just wonder, is this something you think you might want to do more historical dramas or just totally try something else? Uh, um, absolutely. I, I want to just continue to tell stories that are rooted, that, that have heart. You know, I'm, as an audience member, I'm not really, it, it doesn't matter what genre it is. If, if, if the story has heart, you know, I, I want it to be funny and I want it to have heart. I want it to, uh, if it's a, a thriller, I want it to be a thriller and want it to have heart. Those are the things, those are the stories that stay with me. Those are the stories that uh, when I've watched the film 15 years ago and then watch it again, new questions come up for me because I'm a different person from when I watched it 15 years ago. And um, if, if those, those, those pieces that, um, don't have heart, don't seem to stick uh, with me uh, as long. So I'm, I'm approaching uh, it as I've always done as an actor, the same as a director, the way I do as an audience member. Awesome. Does it have heart? And this movie certainly does. Um, I just wanna say congratulations to all of you. It's just really such a special piece um, that I hope to watch again and again over the years. And um, so you should definitely feel proud of the work you've done. Yeah. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Appreciate it.